Welcome to episode 006 of the Bit Beacon Broadcast. It's November 1st, 2023. Your boy Ravenheart, Rick for short, and Taylor, we're here in the studio. We are. This fabulous studio. You know, we just recently moved into a new studio. It's got all kinds of cool <laughs> bonus Fabulous features. studio and deep space in our abandoned beacon. That's right. Yeah, we're just lost in space. That's it. Um, let's, let's go and do our usual first topic of what have we been playing, what have we been buying. I'll let you go first this week. All right. So I haven't bought anything, um, and I've actually had quite the hectic week in my personal life, but what I have been playing... Uh, despite my efforts to get started on uh, Honkai Star Star Rail, still um, hasn't happened. I have it downloaded, but that's what you said last yeah, week. Yeah, I know. I don't always have access to every room in my house at all times, unfortunately. But <laughs> I know. But uh, I have been going back to a game that I played a while ago and trying to get one last trophy, and that game is um, Zeo Drifter. Okay. On on PS Vita. I think this was made by uh, Jules Watson, Washam, yeah, and I from so. Renegade Kid, which is now split off, and I think he's taken over control of the portion of a, the company named Atui. Atui, that sounds right. Yeah, um, it definitely feels like a very, very low team game. I mean, I play I played this a while ago on my Vita. I think it was a PlayStation Plus game. I want to say right. It was also one of the first limited run games for Vita. Oh, was it? It was. Oh, you, you're playing the physical Vita. I copy. am. Yes. Okay. I, I think I, I think only, I own it too. Only play that way unless I'm forced. I to. played it when it was free from PlayStation Plus. Gotcha. So if I have the physical copy, which is sad that I don't know right. if I have that or not, it's it's still sealed. Of course. Um, I unseal my games because I feel like games need to be played. So even if you haven't played it, like you, you I buy will keep a game... it sealed until I play. Oh, okay, okay. But, I was gonna say yeah. at least be logical. About of course, it. yeah. Um, but anyways, Zeo Drifter is this indie game, uh, pixel art style, nice old school pixel art. Like looks to, looks yeah. really nice on the Vita. It, it the colors. It really does, uh, and it plays just like an old school Metroid game. Um, Considerably shorter, but it's got all the usual power-ups that you'd expect in a Metroid game. All the different beams and, you know, uh, life tanks and missile expansions, etc. Right. Um, it has four different planets that you can travel to uh, at any point, which is nice. Um, and, yeah, so I, my first playthrough of this game years ago, got every trophy except one, and that... One trophy is finish the game in under an hour. Oh, of course. Man. And and uh, our recent episode where we talked about you know those kinds of trophies. I I really can't stand those trophies. I in in the back of my mind, I was like Zeo Drifter. It is probably. I mean, thankfully, it's only an hour. So right. well. Like, you're not wasting, like, oh, beat I'm, the game in under 10 hours. If you think that this is going to take me an hour of my time, you're wrong. No, I, I am going. I have been resetting, like, you know, all week and stuff. Okay, how close to, are you getting? Uh, I'm about 40% of the way through the game. But if I take too long doing something or I 
fall and take way too long uh, getting back up. I will straight reset. Okay, so you haven't made it to the end and been like three minutes shy or something no, like that yet. No, no, no. I only beat the whole game one time. Oh, okay. uh, and now that I know the game, although it was a long time ago, right. I'm trying to go back through and beat it within an hour. And this this is so stupid. This trophy is just a silver trophy. It's not even something I need. But you and want that 100% completion. The game doesn't even have a platinum. It's yeah. so unfortunate. But That's back in the day. For some reason, it used to be that like small games, Sony wouldn't give platinums to. Right. And now they give a platinum to anything. Right. But anyways, this one trophy, despite not having a platinum, has been haunting me for years. And when we talked about these kinds of trophies recently, I this just came up and I'm like, I have to go get it. Yeah. And yeah, so I've been playing that all week. Another game that did that is Miramasa Rebirth, which yeah. I would have tried to go for the platinum, but it has trophies that are like finish the game in under 10 hours. Right. And for me, that's like, if I go for that trophy and I fail, mm-hmm. I've just dumped 10 hours into the trash can it's a project so you're gonna save and reset i guess like that's just how you're gonna do that yeah unless you're like some crazy speedrunner who's just a natural well i mean even speedrunner i mean they it's that's what they want to do though they want to play it they want to be the master of that right, game right yeah know? i don't necessarily that's not be how the i play of that that's game. not how i play um but yeah i i'm just trying to get this trophy because it's you're normally not one to be so swayed by a trophy. I'm surprised. No, I'm not. But um, I don't know. I feel like having just discussed this, I want to get one of these <laughs> stupid trophies in my lifetime. Sure. Yeah. I don't think I've ever gotten a speedrun trophy. So I think the trophy is literally titled speedrun. <laughs> I couldn't be more on the nose about it. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, so that's what I've been playing. Okay. What about you? Um, I have been continuing to play Final Fantasy sixteen. Don't have too much extra to add from what I talked about last week where I'm just kind of gushing about the game. But there was one particular moment um, that I came across last week after we had recorded as I continued to play the game. And I was... Uh, just my jaw was on the floor for 30 minutes straight as I did this incredible boss battle. Yeah. The likes of which I've I've never experienced before from the music to just what I'm seeing on screen to the gameplay. It was just this like perfect cohesion of everything clicking for me too as a player. Like mm-hmm. I was like on fire i was playing flawlessly i was getting every dodge right every parry in like it was it was just oh my god and then every time you think you've won the battle it restarts phase two phase three phase four phase five and it just gets like the scale just keeps growing the music keeps evolving you know like this is a game where the music has been very like classic final fantasy you know you're hearing like choirs and you know fantasy something you'd hear in like a fantasy kind of game or movie but this this particular boss just kind of throws that away for a little bit and you get like a hard like metal rock song right um and and then it later transitions back into like bringing in the latin choir into like mixing in with it and it it just goes off so hard um so i mean that's the kind of effort that i love final fantasy 4 yeah i mean i don't honestly 
I something tells me they probably won't top that battle the rest of the game. Because um, this is one of these key pivotal battles where you're fighting one of the other icons, which are mm-hmm. based off the classic Final Fantasy summons. Right. Um, and I've done another one of those uh, battles. I'll just, can I, do you mind if I say which icon it was? That's fine. It was Titan. Okay, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> Final Fantasy fifteen gave yeah. me that same sentiment, same feeling yeah. with their battle with Titan. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. and it was the biggest, craziest boss battle in the game, yeah. and it was not anywhere near the end of the game. Okay, yeah, I, I think this battle was about maybe 60, 60 or so percent into the progress of the game. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, since then, I've done battle with, and I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, uh, Bahamut. Bahamut, okay. I almost was going to say that right. Um, and it was a really cool battle, and it was crazy and epic, but like it just didn't match that high that I got oh, yeah. from battling Titan. None of the other ones will. That's It's a formula. Yeah. It's a repeating formula. Um, it just absolutely bonkers. Um, yeah. And, like, you know, you're not just fighting a monster. You're fighting, like, a, a human who this who embodies this monster. So mm-hmm. you, like, you have this, like, emotional connection, and you've seen what this person has done and is capable of. I think from a design development standpoint, what they try to do, what the Final Fantasy teams try to do with that, because this is, like I say, this is a repeating pattern in mm-hmm. almost all of the modern games since, like, 7. Okay. Um, having this big, crazy, epic boss battle in the middle yeah. that none of the other boss battles even touch. Yeah. Um, I think they do that for the purpose of developing demos and mm. showcasing early in the game okay. development cycle. See, I had a theory about this, too. I thought maybe... The idea is maybe the player has been feeling like the game is a little samey, mm-hmm. you know, like they've been playing for 20 hours now and know they're mostly doing the same things. Why don't we throw them a real big curveball yeah. and like really hook them back in? It serves that purpose too. Yeah, like definitely. it definitely, I mean, I was fully engaged with this game prior, but that, I mean, I I stood up when it was finally over and was like, holy crap, like yeah. this is like a... A crazy gamer moment you know yeah. where i was like holy i felt that same thing in 15 with yeah. the same See, now that makes me want to like stop playing 16 go play final fantasy 15 and get to that boss and like compare them side it, by yeah. side it's a, i'm, very I'm gonna guess it's probably a different completely yeah different. they're not gonna do the same thing yeah. two games in a row or um, at all ever yeah no they're not <laughs> But, uh, oh, dude, the boss battle with Titan in 15 was yeah. wild. It, when you said that this was, like, the craziest boss battle you experienced, that was the craziest boss battle I have experienced. Okay. And it was just from the same same boss from the yeah. previous game. So, yeah. But, you was, know, Final Fantasy games are always very different. From yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. So, for those listening, Yeah, you know, don't get the wrong idea. They're not just, like, regurgitating something. No. Um, guarantee you the two Titan battles are different experiences. Um, but yeah, when I say 30 minutes, I mean easily 33, 34 minutes. Like yeah. from start to it's finish. It's like a super boss battle. Yeah. Like, and yeah, it just, it never lets up and it just keeps upping the ante. And I think a lot of time for me what makes a good boss battle is how, um... How often, like, am I am I am I failing this boss over and over again mid fight? Mm-hmm. Like for me, that's I know that 
That sounds lame, but like when I get in like a game over screen constant, I feel like that really takes me out of like these really cinematic moments. Um, mm-hmm. Like there are these optional bosses in Final Fantasy 16 um, that are known as like S rank hunts. Oh yeah, hunts. Yeah, and. Um, those are bosses that you die a lot to. Right. But, like, the fight is five minutes long. Mm-hmm. So you just keep throwing yourself at them over and over again. Whereas, like, if you're dying in the middle of one of these crazy, epic, 30-minute cinematic fights, mm-hmm. and, you know, it fades to black, and then right. you have to, like... It puts you back in the game. Maybe not exactly where you were, but not all the way at the beginning. It, it, I don't know. I feel like that kind of really interrupts the, the flow and enjoyment that of these really really, really stink to yeah. die at that point. So I think for me, the fact that I was getting all the moves just right, I was dodging at the right moments, like Titan's kind of, he's slower, you know, Mm -hmm. he really telegraphs his movements, Yeah. uh, you know, in the various points when you're fighting him, although sometimes not so much. Um, But uh, so as a player who's maybe not the biggest action gamer, being able to more easily kind of like feel good about getting the dodges just right and stuff, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, it just made the battle like so much more interesting for me and like enjoyable yeah that's i know exactly like where you're coming from with this battle and everything one one thing um not to talk about 15 too much but i've only read this i haven't actually attempted it but apparently after the game after like you finish the whole game and you've done all the side quests and stuff there's a boss battle that you unlock with adamantoys and supposedly it's supposed to take like 48 hours to do the whole battle. What? Like, yeah, it's, I guess, I don't know if that's without any power-ups. Like if you were to take off all your armor, you know, and return to like, I don't know, the original state you were in. Okay. It, yeah, it's like a super long 24 to 48 hour And you're battle. supposed to sit there and I don't know. do it? I haven't tried it. Okay. But yeah, they have stuff like that. I mean, I remember hearing Final Fantasy Eleven was their first MMO, right? No. Yes. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember hearing like some player like died playing that game like years oh. and years ago because he was doing something for like so many hours straight and just like wasn't taking care of themselves and they just like like one task himself. in the game or. Do... Do you remember? Was it was uh, one thing he was doing? I honestly, I don't know if it was like a, a solo battle, some like really hard grind. I've heard that Final Fantasy Eleven is like it's designed to just waste your time as much as it possibly mm. can. Okay, so enough about Final Fantasy Sixteen for now. I'm I'm really trying to. I'd like to finish it this weekend, but I suspect I'm still not within that kind of striking distance yet. Probably not. But uh, maybe, maybe, maybe not this weekend, but the weekend after, I'll finally have the game finished. And I'm, I'm looking forward to. Well, you know, I'm sad it's going to be ending, but they did recently announce there's going to be uh, like DLC, mm-hmm. like expand. I don't know if they're going to be expansions or just sort of like side stories or what. But they said they're going to delve deeper into world and its characters yeah i would expect them to do something like that yeah um one other little update i have about what i've been playing and it's really not a game that i'm talking about but i had mentioned it in a previous episode silent hill ascension had its first um or it went live yesterday Mm -hmm. and so for several hours players were able to 
choose one of three options before the the decision became final and they aired the the segment of footage that would become the first part of week one of Silent Hill Ascension. And I gotta say, I'm massively disappointed. Yeah. Um, you're you're you log into this website and it's ascension.com, and you're immediately greeted with buy this battle pass, get these cosmetics, get influence points to help your decision mean more. Right. Um, and it's just all this junk for like some virtual avatar that's not even like in the show in the game. It's just like your personal character avatar. You get special little chat emotes that you can put in the chat. Like, just absolutely ridiculous things. And, of course, the game isn't just, hey, let's let everyone vote on what option they want. It's no. We'll give you a little bit of these influence points for free. And there's these little silly puzzles you can do to get more free influence points. Or you can just buy it outright. Mm -hmm. And so, basically, the people with the biggest wallets are going to be the ones making the decisions for this canon Silent Hill game. And then the other thing that's really, really crappy about it is that it literally tells you, you get three choices, right? Mm -hmm. You know, for 24 hours, they're letting players choose which of these three choices do you want, and you spend your influence points on it. But it's literally like one choice has like a happy face on it, one choice has like a neutral face on it, and one face has like a... Okay, I shouldn't say face. They're like they're color coded though, like blue being the good one, the sort of white one being the neutral option, and the sort of red one being the like bad or evil option. Okay. And so the majority of people are choosing the good option. Yeah. So it's like it's un it's not interesting. Everyone knows what the the outcome is going to be like the best outcome. Well, uh, I okay. I so like the the whole point of these like telltale style decision making games where you have to live with your choices and the consequences is not knowing what's going to happen. Not knowing what's gonna happen. Right. So what's the point of telling players uh, that but, like I mean, pick this one and the best outcome will occur. Okay, does is that what that indicates though or is it just like a moral Yeah, no, indicator? it literally says like option 1, redemption. Option 2, um like run away. Option 3, finish the sacrifice or something like yeah. that you know so okay so it's color coding based on the outcome not like the moral position yeah that's dumb yeah i like there's no there's no guess i mean you're still guessing maybe how exactly it's going to play out but like you're kind of already clued in so that it's going to be like oh this is the good outcome that's going to occur, you know, rather than like, I don't know, to me, why would you color code them? You should just have all three options be blank. You shouldn't explicitly kind of spell out what's going to happen. Right. You know, the characters should be put into this like situation and then like they should have three options, run away, grab the knife, um, you know, yeah you know, stay your ground or something like that, you right. know? Whereas, like, anything could happen from those three options that right. you select. you have no idea right. if being the good guy is going to get you killed, you know? Yeah. Um, that, I'm disappointed to hear that, um, but yeah, and I'm it's not... just full of all this monetization. I mean, yeah. like, seriously, they're shoving it down your throat every second you're on that website. There's these, like, intrusive pop-ups. Oh, like, God. Yeah, like, they, this is what they want. They just want your money. This is what this is. I mean, they've clearly spent a lot of money 
the first episode is like a 10 minute long like animation yeah you know um and they're doing a new segment every single night yeah so like i've already cast my influence points for you know tonight's episode which i think is maybe airing right now or in a few minutes from when we're recording yeah um and i'm and that means that they had three different you know for last night's episode that means they had three different ones two of which won't see the light of day right. and one that will right because they post these immediately following the boat's conclusion right um so i mean it's obviously they're spending a lot of money they need to recoup this because it's seemingly free at least for now who knows if they might like paywall it at some point uh this is disappointing to hear all this, but not surprising. This is Konami. This is what they're doing. This is what they're doing with their classic, timeless. Well, you know, I think IPs. I don't know. This isn't developed by Konami. What I but think, it's licensed by them, right? I mean, they gave it their stamp of approval, right? Um, but yeah, this specific company, Genvid, specializes in these kinds of interactive things. They're really trying to do something different. They're trying to stand out. I. I do wonder if anybody's actually, well, I'm sure some people are buying into this, but I can't imagine it's a huge amount. I can't imagine they're making their money. It's, I really highly doubt that it's. Watch me be surprised. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, we don't know anything. Of course, oh, oh, if I swipe my credit card, my opinion can mean more than everyone else's? Wonderful. Right. I don't see the diehard Silent Hill old timers. Who have been no. around since Silent Hill 2 or the original being into this. This this is not for them, I don't think. No, I don't think so. I mean, it's Silent Hill in in branding only. Right. Not even a name. Yeah, which is sad because there have been spinoffs and stuff in the past that didn't scream Silent Hill tradition, right. but uh were still games, you know, were still yeah. viable. I mean it's it's possible this could have stood on its own as something unique right. and good. Right. But because they're associating themselves with Silent Hill, I feel like they're only upsetting people. Right. That would, yeah. It's not the first time that mistake's been made by companies either. No. I mean, thankfully, Konami's got some other Silent Hill projects in the works. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, for now, considering this is the first silent hill project in like a decade yeah and this is what what fans are getting yeah it's certainly disappointing although i I am curious to see how the story of this interactive thing plays out interactive Um, website yeah i mean the 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 little puzzles and things to solve i did one of them and it's like click around this like room which is just like a flat like image mm-hmm. and like find the hidden pieces of paper yeah you know like stuff like at that. least these puzzles are kind of tied into something you know i guess i mean there's like match three games yeah and you know like kind of themed by you know I, silent Hill. yeah sure i mean you know there's i don't know that there's any like lore coming out right. of the puzzle they're just seemingly like Ooh, dingy looking Spooky. room. Find the paper, right. you know. Yeah, that's. Um, oh boy. Yeah. So I, uh, it's unfortunate because this sounded unique, regardless of what I thought of it beforehand. Uh, I want to see something like this do well, 
but sounds like it's gonna be just another gotcha cash grab interactive yeah i mean it's not quite a gotcha um but it definitely is you know it's got some predatory monetization stuff going on yeah like but uh yeah i don't know how else they do this when they're not really selling a product they're just selling you um you know a video that you don't even have to pay for if you don't want to so i guess they really the only way you can make money off of it if it's going to be free to all is that you have to let people that want to pay make the decisions for everyone yeah uh, which is just disappointing i feel like it would have been better to charge everyone twenty dollars for a subscription or something you know and then and then somehow let it be playable interactively like after the fact you know like sure establish the canon route and put it on freaking ps5 or something not web browser you know i was reading something there is some like some kind of sony connectivity with this um like I, i was reading there's some like benefit where if you're like a playstation plus premium member or something you get like extra influence points for the game or something like that but it's not i don't believe that it's playable on a playstation platform it's Mm -hmm. on android ios via a special app Mm -hmm. and then on via web browser as well so maybe there's a way to open the web browser version on ps5 i'm not really sure um but uh yeah i'll continue to check it out periodically and see how it develops but it's disappointing to see that they've gone with the expected monetization scheme. I mean, I'm I'm really I'm disappointed in that they're you know, there's no real decision to be made if you know you're picking the good outcome, the worst <laughs> that's outcome. The, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Like both days, it's been by a landslide that like the good option, right? The blue coded option right. is being like chosen. So I get it. People want to try to get through the whole thing with, like, as many people surviving or whatever as possible. But, like, it's more interesting when, like, bad stuff happens, you know? Like, when you make the wrong choice and you have to live with the consequences. Right. I mean, I just, I find it too brain dead to be possible that that will only ever result in good things happening. I mean, it's still silent hill and brand so i'm sure bad things will still happen when we're always choosing if the players are massively choosing the good option right but i'm guessing like they wouldn't be as bad as if a different option had been selected you know right Um, i mean i just hope the developer like pulls a twist and makes that the option that gets or i hope after a few days they see what's happening with the game and they realize oh my god like we made a mistake we need to reconfigure this ui so it's not so apparent right you know what what choice is being selected here because if they don't i don't i don't understand the point like i'll just check i'll just tune in at the end or they write the future story in a way that throws everyone through a loop and gets everyone killed I mean, it's possible. Maybe it is intentionally. Maybe they are trying to, like, say, oh, you think this is the good option. Right. Well, actually, you were all wrong. You should have been... Silent Hill is supposed to be psychological horror, so... Right. That, you know... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is being made in America. Yeah. You know? I I use... For mass. I use the name Silent Hill loosely. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, but aside from that, that's all I've been up to. I didn't buy anything this past week. There's a bunch of releases coming out in November. My wallet is going to be struggling this month. Um, but I will uh, try to make it through unscathed. I have a pretty strict budget for myself, so I don't really know how I'm going to fit everything I have pre-ordered into this budget. Yeah. But uh, I may have to may have to refuse some games and return them. But, uh, you know, one thing that's coming out very soon is the complete edition of Scarlet and Violet mm-hmm. with the DLC on cartridge. Yeah. And these are $95 each. Each? Each. Shoot. So not even like a box set of both? No. Like... No. Like, so the cartridge has like the expansions on them, right. unlocked. So there's no internet check required. Um, and uh, I they did this for Sword and Shield version as well. Mm-hmm. And those versions of Sword and Shield are now very valuable. Yeah. They go for $200 sealed now. Um, so uh, I, as someone who has every Pokemon game in box, every main series Pokemon game in box, I consider these like the deluxe versions of these games. So yeah, right. I, I got to have them for my collection. Right. Um, so yeah, I but yeah, not two two ninety five dollar transactions back to back is gonna yeah that's gonna be hard. That's gonna be tough. Um, but I'll talk more about uh, some stuff I've got coming out next week. I'll have some games that have arrived. All right, but uh, let's jump over to what have we been up to? I personally haven't been up to much. Haven't gone to any cool events or anything. But I think Rick has something he wants to share with us. Um, I've. I've been working uh, with my composer from my, you know, game development. Seraphim. Seraphim. Um, he's writing some music for the for the podcast. So we're kind of doing more of an ad lib, or is that? I don't think that's improv. Okay. Uh, kind of approach to the writing of it. Okay. But we're shooting stuff back and forth with each other nice. and sending examples and. You know, directing the way that I normally do with that stuff. Maybe by episode ten, yeah, wouldn't that be cool that for be, our tenth episode? It's taking the process is taking longer uh, than I had hoped it would, but it is what it is. And one day we will have music. But yeah, one day you're gonna tune in, and it's not just gonna start with me talking. We're gonna have some cool. We'll have an intro, and we'll have probably an outro. And uh, I can't wait. That's gonna that's gonna make us feel like big time. Like we've hit we've hit it. We're right. Professionals. I'm also working on like recovering all my old art assets from the BitBeacon website so that I can update the cover art and make everything just mm. better. I want to do the same to the website itself too. Um, so I know where that stuff is. I just it's in storage, and that creates a project. Your your hard drive is in storage. Yeah, it is. Um, but I am working on that Yeah, stuff. I looked through all of my old hard yeah. drives, and I don't have any of those assets. That's all you. Yep, I know. But anyways, music on the horizon. Yeah. Episode it's... 10 would be cool, but maybe episode 15 or 20. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. And, you know, this comes from our, 
our good friend, friend of the show. Yeah, Matthew Kierkegaard. A.K.A. Peach Toadstool on Peach Twitter, Toadstool, or yeah. X, as I should say. He's also, um, you'll, you can catch him on the Game Explain channel as well. Yes, he does some amazing analysis videos for them. He's doing a lot of Mario Kart right now. Yes, if you're watching Game Explain's Mario Kart course comparison yeah. videos, that's that's our guy Matthew. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, Matthew, if you're listening, yeah. appreciate you spending time, you know, a little bit of your free time working on working on our thing, and uh, we appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right, so now we're gonna just switch over to the news, and we've got we're gonna start off with kind of a big one. Um, Nintendo has announced new community tournament guidelines for their current and relevant esports games, so to say. Um, being Splatoon 3 and the big one, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Ultimate. So, now what do these guidelines mean? They could mean everything. They could mean the difference between tournaments that have been going on for years no longer being able to function unless, uh, unless they comply with these very specific guidelines that Nintendo is setting out for them. And they are specific and they are extreme yeah i mean it you know like other companies they have guidelines for esports and there's been uproar about various things from players over the years um but this is on another level i mean this is like a massive fundamental change is that like how if you want to play our games a fit like you know like we're nintendo doesn't let people nintendo never does anything no the right way they, they, they do everything the hard way yeah they they're very. They just want to control what comes out with regarding exactly. their their property. Now, there's been a lot of problems that Nintendo has had. A couple of years ago, they really tried to make a push into esports with this specific partner, Panda Global or Panda Gaming. They had this big, huge uh, Super Smash Brothers tournament circuit, and the whole thing blew up because of some controversy with the guy who founded panda he was turns out he was like telling nintendo not to give licenses for tournaments to like certain other organizations because they weren't part of his uh tournament circuit oh you're right and so all this drama the whole panda tournament thing ended up exploding like right before the grand finale that was going to be in los angeles last year Mm -hmm. and i think nintendo is just kind of ready to wash their hands of this whole thing like they've been trying and it just hasn't been working out for them. And so this is their way of making it even harder yeah. for other people. They probably have a bad taste in their mouth, too. I, I do. And, you know, I understand Nintendo's frustration. Um, but let, let's just talk about some of these uh, turns. I'm just going to go over some bullet points real quick. Yep. So going forward, tournaments must be not-for-profit. Which, I mean, just that right there. Like, what? (laughs) So what incentive is there for people to organize these massive tournaments that require so much work, so much coordination? I mean, they're allowed to pay people from the money they take in from the organizer or from the the players. Right. They're allowed to to, to (laughs) take, take money to pay for their own operations for the event. Right. That's not profit. So they can only charge no more than a $20 entry fee for players and only a $15 entry fee for spectators. 
doesn't matter how big your event is, right. what expensive venue you booked. And because Nintendo owns the rights and property rights to the game that's being played, they feel that it is within their jurisdiction how much people should pay to get in the door for right. this event. Like, you shouldn't be making a profit off a game that we created. That's their thinking. Right. But I again, guess. for these tournament organizers, is, again, what incentive? They're just supposed to do this out of their own good Right, will? yeah, just for hobby, I guess. Like, this is a full-time job. A yeah. massive, huge job. It's an industry. Yeah, some of these guys, like, they do events all over the place, all over the country, all year long. And now Nintendo's basically saying you can't make you can't make a money like you can pay yourself, but you can't like have money set aside like you can't turn a profit. Right, which Nintendo, is just crazy. Nintendo, I mean, the right way to do this would be Nintendo just be like, hey, um, you know, apply for a license. We take thirty percent of everything, and we give you whatever support we we can offer you. That would be a way better approach than what they're doing here. It's continue. Yeah. Uh, so the a next big bullet point is that a single entity. So like, let's say there's one tournament organizer that does five tournaments a year across the country, different place, parts of the world, whatever. They're allowed to award no more than ten thousand dollars in prize money in a single year. For some events, yeah, ten thousand dollars is what like the first place person wins. So then. That would mean that they're no longer allowed to award any other money to anyone else. I mean, all the esports tournaments I've ever like tuned into or paid attention to, the first place prize was like twenty grand and up. You know, depending on the tournament, like for something like Evo in Las Vegas, those tend to have a, a much larger prize pool than some other ones. Right. Um, but for example, Capcom is doing their own in-house. Uh, tournament Mm -hmm. and their grand prize this year is one million dollars that's for first place capcom gets it capcom's like oh this is us you know they're playing our game let's you know let's be a part of it let's take ownership let's you know and they partner with other tournaments that like then essentially like players earn points at these other tournaments to qualify qualify for capcom Capcom that's awesome that is the right way to do it and this is kind of what Nintendo was trying to get involved with last year, but then it blew up in their face. Right. So, again, I feel like this is a really big overreaction on Nintendo's part. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, oh, yeah, the other thing is the max prize value cannot exceed $5,000. So you can't give an individual more than $5,000. Yeah. So even though there's a $10,000 limit, you can't award $10,000. To a single person. Right. You could only award a max of, of 5000 5, which is ridiculous. So now some of these places that have multiple multiple tournaments are now going to have to consider like going down to less tournaments overall, which may make it just not even, you know, worth it for them to do it anymore because then it's like, well, what do I do the other, you know, 9 months out of the year when I'm not planning my one tournament? Right. And even if you stayed within these numbers, you're only allowed 10,000 per year. So you can blow that at one event. Yeah. And then you can't host another event for the rest of the year. Already, this is making it not worth anyone's time to host an event. I mean, like players. That. Okay, well, let, let's let's talk. Prize pool at a lot of these games or a lot a lot of these smaller tournaments or mid-sized tournaments is not very large. So, I don't think 
for at least someone who's only running one tournament a year, the $10,000 prize pool will probably be okay. Um, I mean, I've seen, you know, people get like fifth or sixth place at like a tournament and walk away with a hundred dollars. Yeah. Like that doesn't even cover their flight expenses. Right. Right. Now, most of these pro players don't make their money from tournaments. Mm-hmm. What they make their money from are the sponsorships, right. and they're a lot of them are streamers. So a lot of them are streaming whenever they're not online, and they're getting the donations, they're getting mm-hmm. the sponsors there. So the prize money isn't like the biggest thing, but for some players, especially like the the players who are unsigned and mm-hmm. not with like a team or a sponsor, I mean, if they win a five thousand dollar tournament, that's a big deal for them. That sure. like validates them, and there are people who track like how much money players have earned from tournaments and you know that puts them on like a ranking board you know when they win one of these kinds of things right so the other thing organizers have to do regarding finances is that shortly after the event ends organizers collecting fees must publicly disclose all accounting related to the cost of hosting the event that means they have to be super transparent about Mm -hmm. everything it has to be on their website it has to be announced on social media otherwise nintendo will shut you down right because nintendo wants to be able to immediately look at those financials and make sure you're not pocketing any cash beyond what's reasonable for you know hosting this tournament and you know paying yourself a a salary essentially Right. right Um, which is just like they I mean that's not the biggest you know rotten egg in this list no it's not but it just it ties in with all of this financial stuff and Nintendo not wanting people to turn a profit right yeah and it, it does it's just it's weirdly invasive it is and like I don't even understand how Nintendo can demand this I, I personally don't know how Nintendo even can enforce legally this? enforce this yeah. yeah if you if no one's ever entered an agreement right. like how can they actually enforce any of this i'm not totally sure um so another thing outside of the finances tournaments cannot be named after or referenced nintendo or its ips so there are tournaments that happen across the country across the world that will have words like smash in it like there's one it's like super smash con or there's one that like will have like the word Hyrule in its name, or Lilat, or you know something referencing like characters or you know IPs represented in like Smash Brothers or Splatoon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now there and there's several of these cons, and like they're big ones or these uh, tournaments. Yeah. And now they all have to change their name next year. Right. Um. I feel like it'd be kind of hard for Nintendo to come at something called Smash Kong. Like, because there's no saying that that is referencing, right? Well, it's it's Smash Con and the game being played with Super Smash Brothers. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Logically, yes, but they're not stealing a name. Well, basically, if you say if you apply, so Smash is a word in the dictionary. Where this is getting to is that Nintendo, and I'm not done covering all the changes, but um, Nintendo is going to require organizations to apply for a license in order to. Uh, certified, you know, have a, a Nintendo, not necessarily even approved, but just a Nintendo licensed event. Right. You know, Nintendo is not putting their stamp of approval on any of these things. They're just granting a license to have these events. So if you you pitch Nintendo, hi, I want to put in a license for Super Smash Con, mm-hmm. Nintendo's going to say, no, you need to change your name. Right. So if you want a licensed event that Nintendo isn't going to come after, they're basically bullying people yeah. into changing the name of their 
their tournament. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so another big thing that's going to affect revenue is that if the the game the tournament is streamed on YouTube or Twitch beyond the ads that are normally embedded into YouTube and Twitch streams, mm-hmm. you are not allowed. To advert to have any third party advertising built into your stream, like I mean, sponsored ads, and that no sponsored ads, no tournament merch, none of that. So yeah. there's another revenue stream completely cut off for these events. I mean, the people running these events are not gazillionaires. No, they're not. Like they're they're getting by. Maybe they're doing okay, but it's an insane amount of work. Yeah, what they're doing. Oh yeah, and that's a huge. You know, like people that you know would normally get paid are now going to end up being like volunteer positions yeah. you know yeah, so now sure. we're going to have people you know that you know, that would get paid just get you know kicked out and they'll find someone who's willing to do it for free okay you know? so um wait was that the last bullet point mm-hmm. no right the last bullet point is just that um you know, uh, when it comes to the licenses, Nintendo, it's up to their discretion whether they approve you or not. And it specifically points that out in the description. Like, right. you may or may not be approved, and we don't have to tell you why or why not. Right. Um, now, there there have been... When this news first broke, um, the community, the Smash community in particular, was, like, extremely distraught. They were like, this is the end for Smash Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, but since since last week, when this news first broke... Some tournament organizers that have partnered with Nintendo currently or in the past came out and said that getting a license is not as big of a deal. It's not as hard. It's usually pretty easy. Um, so they're, they're more, they seem to be more optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that means, you know, this is a new licensing process that Nintendo says is going to become available in mid-November. So it's unsure if it's going to be different from how it's worked previously. Right. So if it's going to continue to be a pretty simple process or if it's going to be a challenging process and people are going to see rejections or I, not. I think the page on Nintendo's website that covers these guidelines say that they take effect November 15th. So none of this stuff applies until November 15th, which right. is just in... And I think there's a small grace period where if your event was already announced and is happening before the end of the year mm-hmm. it can continue uh, you know just fine but if you have a 2024 event already on the books yeah. you will have to apply for a license in uh mid-november which probably is this november 15th date that you're talking about when right. it takes effect um to, to run a tournament otherwise nintendo could potentially threaten right. your event and Nintendo has a reputation for being extremely the, litigious. The Nintendo Ninjas, they're yeah, called. Right. So, imagine you are a professional esports Super Smash Brothers Ultimate player. How do you feel about all this? Um, you know, it's been interesting. I've been watching some reactions from some of the players online, and initially, it was very doom and gloom. Um, there's still a lot of doubt and uncertainty. There have been some voices, like I said, that have come out and said, let's wait and see, guys. It might not be as bad as, you know, it seems like it is on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think people have gotten a little more optimistic. Now, there may have to be some compromises made in order to continue. 
uh, like some of these tournaments, you know, they still play Super Smash Brothers Melee, the GameCube version right. of Super Smash Brothers. That's still enormously, enduringly popular today. Right. Some would say even more so than. Well, it's regarded as the best in the series. Yeah, I mean, Ultimate gives it a good run for its money now. Sure. I think Ultimate now has more viewers than than Melee, but uh, it's still um, a lot for. Basically, these guidelines don't seem to mention these licenses aren't granted for melee. So players are like, "Well, are melee tournaments even going to be allowed at all?" And then another big aspect of melee is that there's a popular modified version of melee that people play online on mm-hmm. a PC via emulation that allows players to play online. And some of these tournament organizers have in-person tournaments and they have online tournaments. But if they want to partner with Nintendo officially, they might have to cancel these online melee tournaments because they're basically playing with a modified version of the game, right. which is prohibited in these, in these new Nintendo guidelines. Yeah. Even if the modified version of the game is obtained legally, if it's modified, you can't play it, period. Right. So some tournament organizers are going to have to decide if we move forward and try to do this Nintendo's way, we're going to have to say goodbye to these online melee tournaments that we, you know, host all the time, right. which generate a lot of income for, uh, you know, in the meantime when the in-person events aren't happening. Right. It it just you have to wonder, like, what is, where is this coming from in Nintendo's mind? Are they trying to maybe host their own things in the future, and they're trying to make it impossible? Or, you know, have to get a license for other yeah. event hosts. Uh, I don't know. It's it's really weird. It's just you know, very pe- bizarre. People were hoping that maybe Nintendo would return to Evo. You know, they haven't been present at Evo the last two years. Which is the really... Evo is the huge fighting game tournament that happens in Los Angeles every year. It's basically the premier fighting game event. Right. It gets millions and millions of people watching. Um, nothing comes as close in terms of viewership uh, that Evo does, and you know people fly out from all over the world for this thing. Just to just to spectate, just to spectate, and like the players, like every top player is there, with you know little exceptions. Right. Um. So you know it's really, and you know players and spectators get to get up close and personal, and you get to like watch them play, like at the little chairs in the aisle. Um. It's uh. It's a huge event. I've been in the past few years. It's a really good time, but you know it's not the same now that Nintendo hasn't been there. And with these new guidelines, I don't see how no. Evo would ever no. agree to any of this. They're no. a definitely a for-profit company. They're oh, a huge yeah. venture. They're part owned by PlayStation now. Um, so I it, think that right there would say no to Nintendo. That might be why Nintendo. Well, you know, it's funny after after uh, PlayStation bought them when they were getting ready to announce. Uh, the games for 2022, they preemptively put out a statement saying Nintendo has declined to allow for Super Smash Brothers. Okay, Ultimate. so it was Nintendo's choice. Right, and they said, we reached out to them, we want them to be a part of the event, but they said no. Yeah. So it's like, we hope they you know, will come back in the future, but they didn't come back this year. I think it's safe to say they're yeah. not coming back anytime ever. It's so, I just... You have to wonder what, like, what is I going mean, on. These events make these games last forever. Oh yeah, like uh, these events. You know, even if we're not the biggest esports people, players, players, or 
you know, it just doesn't occupy, you know, much of our gaming journey. Um, they're hugely important. Yeah, like, I, like if the next Smash Brothers game comes out in whatever ten years from now, and these archaic rules are still in place, mm-hmm. like these games will sell significantly less because they've made the barrier to want to get involved in the community so high. Yeah, um, we're at the point uh, in the landscape where you know tournaments and Evo and you know esports is a huge factor in the sale of fighting games yeah so if you come out with a fighting game you better be friendly toward tournaments at least the idea of it i mean you know it's interesting nintendo has seemingly always tried to for whatever reason they're like adverse to calling it a like smash brothers a fighting game and it's not a traditional fighting game no it's not it's not a tournament fighter um technically I mean, they have added things over time that do make it more competitive friendly. Um, you know, like you, t- you can turn off items. You can make all the stages like Final Destination or Battlefield or Big Battlefield, which are like the really common popular stages. Right. Play it at tournaments. Um, but, you know, they're, they always are quick to point out it's a party game. It's for everyone, you know. Mm-hmm. Whenever Nintendo hosts their own like online tournament or in-person Smash tournament, which they do do on occasion... It's always like items are on, ultimates are on, mm-hmm. which I prefer items on. Right, it's Super Smash Brothers. Right, when you're, pl- I get it, I get it, but it adds a huge sense of randomness in like a competitive environment mm-hmm. that doesn't allow for like skill to triumph. Right, which but is what you want in a competitive environment. The a tournament environment, let me say. There's a whole debate to be had there. I think that part of it is comes down to the player's ability to adapt to the, you know, chance factor. Um, sure. And, you know, the word melee literally refers to fighting with your environment and surrounding objects, etc. Uh, I think that that's the spirit of Smash Brothers. I agree. And I think that that should be a part of the competition. And again, it is a skill when a player is able to adapt to what items pop up, what items your opponent has. Definitely. But when I'm watching the two greatest players duke it out, I don't want the thing deciding a match to be a banana peel. Yeah. (laughs) And I just cursed, and I'm going to have to edit that out. I'm sorry. Uh, No, I understand that. Or more likely like a home run bat or something. Um, But... I do. <laughs> I mean, that's that's <laughs> fine. You know, when I'm playing with friends, I, I I want items on. I want final smashes on. They make the game more flashy. They make the game more fun. Yeah. Um, but I side. If with... you if you want a hardline tournament fighter that's skill and skill only, go play Tekken. Right, but people like Smash Brothers is a specific kind of fighter. It's a platform fighter. The people that are good at platform fighters are not necessarily good at Tekken. So, I look, there are options in the game. Clearly, they accommodate those players as much as they accommodate the players that like items. Sure. So, I mean, if the game has options to turn those things off and to make the game into a tournament, you know, competitive, high-level play setting, Mm -hmm. then I think that's just as valid. And I think Nintendo, while they make those options available... It seems like they refuse to acknowledge that they're even there. Yeah, I understand Nintendo's approach to that. I do. I, I side with it. But I get what you're saying. Yeah. 
But I mean, like, if if they wanted items to always be on, then they wouldn't even have an option to turn them off. Right. Well, yes. I mean, player options are just part of any game, but player options don't dictate the way the game should be played just because an option is available. Like, turning colorblind mode on doesn't indicate that the game is intended to or designed to be played Dude, you're comparing colorblind mode to turning items off I'm comparing player options. Okay, I mean, that's... I mean, yeah, I I don't see that argument. Personally, um, I mean... It's not the... It's only sort of that way. It's not entirely like what I'm saying, but yeah, I I don't know. I think I think the both game, communities can be valid. The game design is clearly involving items, right? Period. Okay. So that's kind of where I fall on that. Yeah, I mean, some characters can even man like make items, right? Yeah, and those characters are often considered to be pretty overpowered because projectiles and often it's not the items that are powerful it's just chucking an item at an enemy can you know another player can send them flying off the screen right um so yeah i mean it's i i I see where you're coming from but i also as someone who does engage with the competitive scene in terms of like as a as a someone who watches from the side i think it's far more Uh, nerve-wracking and like edge of my seat like you know we're talking about two titans that are you know gods you know there's people known as like the the five melee gods and you know like if you throw items in the mix then that all just goes out the window i mean i get it sure it'd be exciting for some joe schmo to show up and like slay the gods with a super scope it's not even about that though it's about the game design of super smash brothers right that's it and yeah, Sakurai, the creator of Super Smash Brothers, has come out and said that it's a party game. Yeah. And yeah, I agree with him. And he he wants it to. He's not really into the competitive side of things so much himself personally. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's added more and more to the game to make it more accessible for competitive players. And I'm just repeating myself now. We're clearly not going to come to an agreement on this. <laughs> no, we're not. Um, and that's okay. Um, but I, I don't know. I just think it's possible for both to be served. I just think, I, I just don't understand why Nintendo spits on the competitive side. I mean, this is an example of them doing that. Right. They're just trying to make their lives hard. I mean, we can shift away from Super Smash Brothers and focus on Splatoon when we talk about this stuff. That is absolutely a competitive game. I won't, you know, argue that. I mean, there's... There's items and loadouts and things that, you know, maybe some would be considered more powerful than others. Um, I'm, again, I don't follow the Splatoon competitive stuff nearly as much as I do Smash Brothers. But yeah, I would agree. Splatoon was definitely made with, like, almost like with esports in mind, I would yeah, say. Right. Um, more so than Super Smash Brothers ever was. Right. But uh, let's let's move on because, like I said, we're 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 not going to come to a consensus on this well, one. Well, we're talking about super. The disagreement is specifically over Super Smash Brothers, not the yeah. topic at hand. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, the topic that Nintendo is just making players' lives hard and tournament organizers hard. Right. I mean, that's that's just impossible to deny. Right, that's what they're doing. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're like trying to snuff it out. But. Uh, there was some troubling news, Rick. Why don't you uh, talk about this next topic? Okay, so um, 
It's not so much news as it is a rumor, but it's a rumor that I would say is likely to be somewhat true. I'd say it's credible. It is credible. Uh, so Josh Fairhurst uh, from Limited Run Games, one of the co-founders of Limited Run, um, tweeted uh, that he understands that Walmart will stop selling physical Xbox games in 2024. So... Not too long ago, we talked about Best Buy shutting down their sale of DVDs and Blu-rays and Blu-rays. This, if this is true, this is an even worse step in the direction we don't want to go. Yeah, the um, fact that a whole game publisher, you know, a whole game console maker, right, will essentially not be selling physical games in stores anymore. And if this is in any way true, it's not going to end with Xbox. It's just going to start with Xbox. Yeah. I mean, it, I would say it's not going to stop with Walmart. I no. would say if, if Xbox games are going away at Walmart next year, Xbox games are probably going away at Target. Xbox games are probably going away at Best Buy. Yes. I think, And we've mentioned this previously. If anyone's going to go all digital, it's going to be, be Xbox. And, and if any player base is going to be ready to accept it, right. it's going to be Xbox. Yeah. I mean, the PC space is obviously the most accepting of digital. They're already kind of and, there. And, you know, Xbox is, I don't want to say it's an extension of the PC space, but, you know, they're both Microsoft. dominated by Microsoft. Right. So I think, you know, a lot of people who game on Xbox probably game on pc too maybe we're not trying to pigeonhole xbox gamers um but we do understand that you know the just the style of you know games gameplay and well, monetization just game stuff. pass right you game know pass, like yeah. players on xbox are really likely to subscribe to game pass which is this all you know we talked about it before the all digital service where you just download all of the first party games yeah. as soon as they're released you know for 16 dollars a month Right. Um, and in addition to that, a whole slew, hundreds of third-party games as well that you have access to. Right. Um, it's uh, it's unfortunate to see this happen to Xbox, but I know it spells, you know, the same fate for the consoles that I do play, which is... I mean, have you been into a Walmart lately? Uh, yeah, but not the electronics. See, like, for me, whenever I go to a retailer, no matter what I'm there for, I, I gotta go, go by the yeah, game section. I usually do. Yeah, I, I have to go Unless to the I'm in section. a hurry. Even if I'm not buying anything there, I just want to look. Yeah. And I've seen it at Target, where things have shrunken down. I mean, the Xbox aisle isn't even an aisle anymore. Right, it's an so end cap or something. Yeah, I mean, it's like one segment of an aisle. Right. Um, you know, PlayStation has shrunk. Nintendo still has a decent footprint, but it's still not as big as it used to be. No. But, I mean, Xbox is just pitiful, the section. Mm-hmm. And it's even worse at Walmart. I mean, Walmart, I mean, first of all, Walmarts, they can be a disaster from yeah. one Walmart to the next. Yeah. I mean, just. And you know, they, they've, like, the quality of the store varies greatly between oh, Walmart locations. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you get usually employees that don't want to help you or don't know anything or aren't even at the desk yeah you know like good luck getting a game (laughs) right you got to find someone who's got keys it'll take 20 minutes before they show up to the electronic section um and yeah the game you know walmart used to have really good deals for whatever reason until last year every game at walmart was like 
always like 20% off on launch day. Mm -hmm. So like a $60 game was always Mm -hmm. $59.99. A $50 launch game was always like $49.99. So for a while, I was getting all my physical games at Walmart. Like if I wanted to play them on day one, because they were immediately discounted. I don't know why they were doing that, but then that stopped last year. And so I wasn't going to Walmart as much. Um, But yeah, generally speaking, it's not worth going to Walmart to buy games. For me personally, I have one exception to that. Otherwise, I completely disagree with what you're or agree with what you're saying. Um, The bargain bin at Walmart when it comes to games is the best thing of any retailer. Yeah, if you're looking for your DS copy of Corey in the House, that's where you go to find it. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about um, PS4 titles, PS5. Okay, yeah, I have seen people score some crazy games on clearance I have. for like five I, bucks I like we're talking $60 games I picked up Sonic Mania on PS4 years ago already for five bucks yeah like and you know stores they all clearance things seemingly at random right. you know like so I, I'll see people online like look at what I got for ten dollars you know this two-month-old game is all like already discounted 90 percent right at Walmart and then I go and it's full price right yeah, so I don't know where these WalMarts are that get these crazy good deals, I and mean, some it is just luck sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I'll see people like buy like twenty copies of something because they were five bucks, you right. know, and like they'll flip them online for you know thirty, forty dollars each. Yeah, that happens, um, and everything's brand new, so you can keep it sealed if you want. Yeah, and, you know, or yeah, if you like, you know, you're looking at a certain game as an investment piece, right? Which I don't really recommend for games. No. Um, it really depends on what we're talking about, yeah. but yeah. I mean, the only games I own that have really, really retained their value and gone up in value tremendously. Nintendo games. Yeah, are all, like Pokemon games especially. Yeah. Like Game Boy, game, like the Game Boy Advance Pokemon games are nuts now. Yeah. Like oh, Pokemon yeah. Emerald is like $200 loose. Yeah, that's so crazy. <laughs> loose, yeah. dude, loose. Um. Yeah, it's it's a Pokemon box mm-hmm. in the big box, complete in box. A sale in September. Guess how much money? Yeah, uh, three hundred, five hundred. Pokemon box. This is the thing that was only available from the Pokemon Center online right. store. I okay, five hundred. If you have it in the big box, not just the little the jewel case, not the jewel case, but yeah, the, okay, the cardboard box is probably a thousand. Okay, so. If it's in big box, complete, with cable, manual, stickers, memory card, game, $4,300. Shoot. That's like... Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, but those games are included in, you know, Walmart's selection of games, too. Not Pokemon Box. Not Pokemon Box, but... But yeah, you can find good stuff in there. Nintendo first party titles yeah occasionally yeah you, you can and you know sometimes they're not in the bin sometimes they're in the the, the case, case and yeah. they've just got a really crazy markdown price right sometimes they're not even marked down they're just someone will go to check out and it'll ring up at, well like, you can weird... expect a lot more games to be marked down very soon at some yeah of especially if you're into xbox you'll right probably be able to get some good games at bargain prices there. exactly um, but I, I saw reports from people online replying to josh's tweet that like their walmart doesn't even have xbox games already yeah i don't know about that mine does i no, i believe that though i be, i mean i have seen some walmarts that have like 
barely the tiniest hint of game. Yeah. So oh, to, yeah. to see that Xbox games have already been eliminated, think I mean, think about it. Most of the people buying Xboxes are on Game Pass, so they don't have a need to buy the physical games. Right. So Walmart probably sees that they're selling like one Xbox game a week. They're like, why are we dedicating this much retail space to, you know, uh, such an insignificant profit margin? Right. But, um, yeah, we can expect to see this from more retailers. And and like we said, Best Buy's already gone this direction. I thought I had read that Target had already gone this way and Best Buy was actually following Target. No. Like, you mean Walmart? No, Best Buy. um, I'm talking about the movies. Oh no! The DVDs I, and stuff. You can still get movies at Target. Uh, yeah. Okay. They still sell music CDs and vinyl at Target. That's true. So, like, I was just in there the other watch, day. Watch, watch vinyl outlive like oh, DVDs and it, stuff. It, yeah, I mean, it already it, they make more money on vinyl music than they probably do selling DVDs now. Um, you know, I think the there's some. People that do still buy DVDs. I mean, I work at a library. I buy a lot of DVDs for our library. Mm-hmm. We have over 10,000 DVDs and Blu-rays in our collection. Right. Um, so, I mean, I still want to keep buying them. I think they'll be around for a while longer. Oh, yeah. Um, but I do think you're going to see more of this kind of stuff transition to just online purchases, whereas retail, physical retailers won't need to carry them anymore right. because there's they become a niche product that you know people just buy it online anyway so they don't go to a store to like browse movies the way that they used to right and it's not like we can have a vinyl re-release of an old you know game that's proprietary media exactly yeah it's re-releasing a game is a whole lot of work compared to just pressing a vinyl again right you know um so we're gonna switch gears uh over you know a few weeks ago we were celebrating that the new PlayStation 5 Slim console is going to have a model with the disk drive built into it. Yes. As well as a digital-only model, and that these models are going to replace the currently on-the-market PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 5 digital model, meaning and, those are going to be phased out. And we also raised the question, uh, are these models any different in any way, or is one just have the thing that the other one doesn't. Right. So we got some answers to this question. We did. The the answer is that they're not different. They are not. One of they're both the slim model. The only difference is that the one that's being sold as the physical model has the a disk drive pre-installed with the alternate cover that fits the disk drive. I suppose you could just say that the shell of the console is different the shell of the console is different and the disk drive is just pre-installed and you save a little bit of money right so i mean that's interesting in and of itself but really the big piece of news out of here is that in order to use the disk drive you will have to connect your new console to the internet and activate the disk drive pair it with your console right which means defeats the entire purpose of having a physical console with you know readable media it like the whole point is to have something that can play games offline right forever so but now you're making the thing that lets you play physical games require require an an internet connection. connection to a server that we already talked about servers 
It's not going to be there forever. No, one day that server's going to go offline. Now, that's not to say that PlayStation in the future can't release a, a patch or something to these consoles that right. fixes it. Now, but then, okay, let's say I buy this physical disc model and I want to keep it sealed. You know, and then 20 yeah. years from now, my PS5 has died. But so I'm going to open my sealed, perfect condition PS5 with disc model. Right. The firmware servers are down. Mm-hmm. The you know the the, the disk drive activating right. thing is down. Nothing is there anymore. Yeah. Now I now I now it's just a giant paperweight that looks real pretty and pristine. The only thing that's going to fix this is if there's enough of an uproar about it that PlayStation releases some kind of solution. Now they they have done something like this before. There was a a bit of an uproar over. Um, there's a battery, like a, one of those watch batteries, those flat watch batteries, inside the PS4 and the PS3. Mm-hmm. And when this battery dies, it it basically causes the console to like lose synchronization. Mm-hmm. And the only way to stay synchronized, uh, basically, this battery is keeping this like certificate, this digital certificate, alive that'll let you launch games. Mm-hmm. So when that battery died, people had found out that you could no longer launch games unless you were connected to PlayStation Network, mm-hmm. which meant that if PlayStation Network goes down or they cut off the interaction to PS4 one day, you wouldn't be able to play any of your digital or physical games. Right. So Sony did release a, a firmware update for the PS4 that got rid of that. Still a problem on the PS3, though. Yeah, that's... Uh... And they haven't done anything to rectify that. Um, so, yeah, sure, could they maybe issue a firmware update? And could maybe you install this firmware update from, like, a USB drive after the servers go off one day? Sure, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, but it's still... It's just absolutely redundant. Yeah. What if, like, uh, you know, like... I don't know. The, the thing that looks appealing about this console is that disk drives are known to fail eventually they are yeah so the fact that you have like a modular console where you could you know your old one failed you don't have to replace the old console you can just pair a new disk drive to it so like someone who might buy this new slim and then buys an extra disk drive to like you know save for a rainy day sometime down in their life Mm -hmm. now they wouldn't be able to activate it you know yeah and like can you activate it now and then like unattach it and i i i don't i kind of understand why but I really don't understand why the hardware can't just authenticate, you know, the peripheral. Sure. So what are they worried about? They're worried about people using, like, third-party right. things that would maybe enable piracy or right. something like right. that. Right, of course. But if the peripheral has a, you know, some kind of checksum certificate or something that is, you know, the console sees as valid. Right. I mean, know, I guess... Maybe it could be spoofed. Uh, yeah, uh, that's probably the only reason yeah. to have it on. I don't know. So maybe at some point in the life cycle, they'll release a firmware update because they're not maybe as worried about PS5 piracy anymore right. because they've moved on to PlayStation 7 or something. Right. But those that are stored in boxes, you know, your SOL, yeah. you're going to have to install it on like an I USB. guess if you buy one to save for a rainy day, activate it and then pack it back up. Right. Because... Uh, if you try to do it down the line at some point, you may not be able to. Yeah. I mean, it's just stupid. It's, it's yeah, just stupid. It's just... If it, and especially if it's pre-installed. Right. 
activate it at the manufacturing right the point of manufacturing right that's yeah they that's the other really stupid point about this is that the ones that i you know i understand this about the the ones that are modular but the ones that are together what like why why does the console need to be paired with the console. Because you know, all like, someone did while the console was off is slap it on. Yeah. Because it is the same as that console as right. the digital one. Right. And that's how we know that they are the same. Yeah. Same so, thing. I mean, on one hand, if this problem didn't exist, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Because then it's like, great. So the the, di- the disc one is also modular. Like, awesome. Right. So then I can get a replacement one without having to spend $500 on a new PlayStation 5. Right. If my disc drive ever fails. Like, that's great. More things. I do think more things should be modular that way. Sure. And, you know, it's more consumer-friendly, for one. Right. Um, but this is not consumer-friendly by requiring the online check. You're, you're ensuring that the console can't exist forever. Right. Or play games forever. And I know some people are probably listening to this going, like, it's just an internet connection. Right. You know, like, it, it's... And I get it. It's something that's going to take 10 seconds to do. And yeah. everyone has internet. Right. But it's the principle. Yeah. And that that internet connection is downloading a file to your console that authenticates it. Or it's sending up a file right. that there. authenticates yeah. it. And that, that server... going to be there. Exactly. One day, it'll be turned off. Yeah. And that's the point. Like, without fail, that will happen. Yes. Um, I was going to ask you, which of the two would you buy? I mean, just because I know that they're the same thing, and you save money by buying the one with the disk drive already installed, I would, mm-hmm. I would buy that one. Is that your only reason, or is there something about the console that makes you prefer that one? I mean... Are you aware of something I'm not? Because no, 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 they're no. the same exact thing. They are the same exact thing. I'm, but one is removable and the other one is removable, but you have to open up the console, I guess. No, you just take off the cover. That's all you do. So okay, so if, they are the same thing. They're literally the same thing. <laughs> okay. So if you buy the digital one, you have a different cover than the one that comes with the, the disc one. But if you buy the disc separately, the disc mm-hmm. drive separately... The disk drive one, or the disk drive will come with the, the correct cover that you now need to put on your formerly digital console, which is now a disk console, to would, make it the same as buying the disk console. Would there be an easy way to get both covers, just for... If you wanted both covers for sake of completion, you should buy the digital one, mm-hmm. and then buy the disk for the disk drive separately so that way you still have both covers okay. and you have the disk drive but you'd be paying an extra 20 or 30 dollars that's why the price hike probably yeah they're charging because you're you're getting an extra cover. cover yeah yeah so i guess if you want both that read, would be the way to go but... i read they're also charging more for the stand um, ver- vertical stand. Yeah, so this this model will only come with a horizontal stand, mm-hmm. um, and the vertical stand will be sold separately. I think for like twenty dollars yeah. for a piece of plastic. I saw twenty pounds. I don't know if this is going to be twenty dollars, but that translates more um, to like twenty five dollars. The the place PlayStation products are all more expensive in the UK and in Europe. Okay, okay. Like for so whatever they, reason, they keep it. Yeah, it's 
I don't know if it's because when they get imported, they're like imported into the States first and then imported into Europe or something. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, we pay, the people in the US pay far less for PlayStation products, games, consoles, accessories than people in Europe and the UK do. Yeah. And that sucks. Yeah, it does. But uh, uh, it's the way it is, unfortunately. I guess they, they figure there's more of an uproar here if they raise prices than there is over there. Or something. Like they're just used to it over there. <laughs> they're just more, cal they're, they're calmer. And Whenever they announce passive. price hikes and stuff, it's always in Europe. Like there's never, there's yeah. rarely a price hike here. They, I, maybe they have a study that they've conducted that just shows that Europeans are more passive than yeah, Americans. Yeah, they're just a, more agreeable. They're not like going to. You know, throw Molotov cocktails right, at your right. house for charging ten more dollars. Right. Um, All right, break time. Yeah, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. So, otherwise, in the news, uh, Nintendo filed a patent on uh, October twenty sixth, uh, which was discovered over the weekend uh, over a device that has two screens. Um, and there's a lot of speculation about it. Um, so, yeah, the patent isn't actually a patent yet. It's something that's like a work in progress. They haven't submitted it. I'm not totally sure why they need to start publicly uploading it. But I had read that it's not actually, like, filed quite yet. Gotcha. Um, but it is something they're seemingly working on. Um, now, it, it looks... There's some images on this website where they've submitted uh, diagrams, drawings. Yeah, sketches. Um, and uh, it looks like a switch, but then it folds up and opens into like a clamshell design. Reminiscent. As if to kind of signify like two separate devices that go together and connect. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you open it up, it looks like it could be uh, like a DS or a 3DS, but then... The description of the device implies that it can be separated. Right. Meaning that you could, like, then like, hand the other like screen to someone else. fully separate them into two separate devices. Um, and it also talks about multiple states that the device devices can be in. Back-to-back, front-to-back, and separated yeah. or something. So, I mean, you could, maybe similar to the Vita have like the back be sort of like a touch screen thing right. where you're interacting. It does talk about the back of it being something. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's, it's not a third screen, but I don't, who knows? Yeah. It was the, the, the description that it gives of the device is a little confusing to read cause it's very technical. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we're talking about, you know, if this is the Nintendo switch two, right. You know, Maybe, uh, I mean, this this could be a megaton, or it could mean absolutely nothing. Right. Uh, patents get filed all the time that amount to nothing, and concepts are drawn up that amount to nothing all the time as well. Yeah. Um, now, I can see this being something with the Switch 2. It follows suit, for me, in my mind, with Nintendo's kind of approach, on, on, in multiple ways, one, it takes what the Switch already has and adds to it, you know, kind of like what they were trying to do with the Wii versus the Wii U. Right. It also opens the door, and I know how they're thinking about this, to the virtual console supporting DS and 3DS. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have, if this is the approach Nintendo is going with out of the gate for the Switch's successor, personally, 
I think they've lost their damn minds. Yeah. I think if they think they're going to market this as the Switch's successor, mm-hmm. they're going to have a hard time convincing people. First of all, the price. Can you imagine mm-hmm. what the price would be for essentially two consoles in one? I don't know. They somehow seem to make that work. Uh, I mean, we're already expecting a Switch that costs, you know, $399, or a Switch successor that costs $100 more than the base Switch model does right now, I think. Sure. We're look, probably looking at a $400 console next year. It probably would If be it more. has one screen. Right. It. I don't see them going above 500 you know, maybe they have a, a premium model of some kind, or they have a, a cheaper digital model, mm-hmm. and then a more expensive model that can do physical game cards. Maybe that's the strategy they go with. Xbox and Sony have also done that this generation. So um, maybe all of these uh, concept drawings seem to display a cartridge slot on the top of it or the bottom that's true yeah so i don't know that that would that they're going to go the digital physical versions route right i mean you know when these when these drawings get filed and distributed the the you know the the patent for the switch was this like ovular ovular shaped device yeah it it never ends up looking nothing like it never ends so i don't know that we can look at these drawings definitively i mean this could just be the the physical model rather than the digital only model right you know sony when they launched the playstation 5 they said hey look for 399 you can get a powerful console right whereas xbox they have two consoles they have their disc console the series x and then they have their digital console the series s Mm -hmm. the series s is significantly less powerful than the series x whereas the two playstation models were identical in power to each other. Right, right, right. So I think if Nintendo were to do a digital one and a, like a one that didn't take cartridges and one that did, mm-hmm. um, you know, I I don't think they would be different in terms of raw power. I think it would be more of the Sony approach where they just say, "Hey, you can get it for three hundred and ninety nine, or if you want, you know, the one that takes cartridges, it's fifty dollars more, a hundred dollars more, something right. like that." Yeah, um, it's really hard to take anything away from, you know, preliminary sketches and, and now, concepts. I think this could work if it's an optional accessory to the next Switch, the next Nintendo successor. Sure. Like, uh, I could see it being sold and it just, like, detaches via some, you know, points and magnets and stuff. So I'm curious, if it's sold like this, let's say a new console comes out, they announced it's... A more powerful switch plus this other device. Right. How do you like? Okay, you, you say that that's they're out of their minds. How does that not work? Um, I just don't think that they're going to convince the general public to carry something like that around. Like, I think you have to market that. You know, it's a very Nintendo thing to do. Oh yeah. And me personally, I'm there for it on day one. But I want to see Nintendo continue to succeed right. and see success. And I feel like something like this would be an obstacle 
to that, to the success they're seeing now continuing. Because you're assuming that it's going to be bulky, or I'm, I just, I, I just really don't see see people gravitating. To, I mean, it's got to be heavier mm-hmm. than it would be if it was just one I mean, device. It, it depends how they design it. I mean, how how do you think? What do you think it's going to stream? No, to like an empty shell no, to the other console. No, of course not. Um, but they could design the the main switch and then this other screen. I mean, how does how does a cartridge based game even work on something you can detach? I would almost have to download the game in two places. I honestly have no idea. Um, but the the DS worked. Right, but it wasn't detachable. It wasn't detachable. That's the part that's like, how do... So, I mean, okay, let's say they go for this, right? Mm -hmm. A clever name that I saw someone pitch online was the Nintendo Split. Right, okay, I can see that. Yeah, I think that, I think if they, if this is how they're going, that's what they should, it calls back to the Switch Mm -hmm. with, you know, a similar short S word that has some of the same sounds in it. Yeah. Um, but I I don't know, dude. I I just think I'm I, trying to understand your. I just think they're asking a lot of the consumer. Uh, okay. Put your put yourself in the mind of an average person. Mm-hmm. Remember what happened with the Wii and the Wii U. Right. So wait, it's an accessory for my Switch. Right. Yeah, okay, so you're seeing a repeat of the Wii U situation. I'm seeing this being very confusing to the general public. Right. People who aren't tuned in. So that's an issue with marketing, I think, more than hardware. I agree, but I do think hardware does bear some responsibility still. Like, they're designing something that is explicitly hard to market, or harder to market, more challenging to market. I guess so. I I mean that only is gonna be you know that only speaks to like how how well their marketing team is you know handles it. I mean I, it could be marketed the really well. Has been marketed incredibly well because right. it's an easy concept to sell. Right. The concept is drop it in a dock, okay. pull it out, and play it. So is it know? the complexity of the thing that is your problem? I think so. and I mean, that's part of it. I think, one, it's it's weird, you know? Sure. And weird is always a little harder to sell. Sure, yeah, um, definitely. And I think it's it's got to raise the price. There's no way it doesn't. No, of course. Got to make it bulkier. It's got to make it heavier. Now, I mean, we are seeing a trend with phones that they're not super widely adopted but we're seeing these folding phones now mm-hmm. right oh yeah the z fold and all that i you know i mean google's got one microsoft has a foldable android phone you know they're they're becoming more prolific or pro, not prolific but um we're seeing more and more of them out there you know and i think this is an interesting way to sort of incorporate a folding thing and you're right you know when it comes to virtual console how else can you release like ds games mm-hmm and 3DS games, virtual console, without having two screens. I mean, sure, you could put two screens side-by-side side to each other yeah. on, like, a widescreen setup, but I just don't think you're getting the same experience. That's why I think if something like this were to exist, I think it would have to be as an accessory, not something you're forcing See, everyone to buy. What's different 
for me between this and the Wii U, and I do understand your fear about the Wii U syndrome yeah. affecting this, um, is that it is it's detachable, but it's also attachable, and it can be sold as an attached. You know, all the imagery, all the branding, everything can show it as an attached console, sure. and that is very sellable. It's as sellable as the DS. All right, so then consider this then. You're right. You're right there. Um, you know, if it's already attached, it's it makes more sense. I still think in the marketing, you're going to see, you know, them showcasing right. the detachable functionality, which is where the confusion will come from. But if you sh- showcase and market that first concept, the attached form, yeah. you can then say it also does this and yeah. then show that and then everyone goes, whoa, wow, yeah. you know. Okay, but now everyone developing games right. is now developing that, so that's a, always a unique be, version yeah. of the, the this that's, new Nintendo split, you yeah. know? So that's always going to be... Anytime a console holder wants to do something like this, that's always going to become a problem. It's, a, it's a immediately... A, every one of these third-party publishers is like, Ugh. Yeah, now we have to... Liter- and indie, indie developers And Nintendo too. will have these guidelines where you have to take yeah. advantage yeah. of the new functionality, and, both screens. Yeah, and, yeah. and so developers will just be like, forget it. It has to be called this, and this device has to be called this. Yeah. Yeah, they do that. I, I, think, I think it's a mistake if they launch a detachable console mm-hmm. out of the gate. Now, I think if they say, hey, everyone, um, virtual console games are coming to the new Nintendo Switch 2 or whatever it's called, we're going to have this $100 optional accessory that lets you add a second screen to your Switch so you can play these games. And then there will also be some first-party Nintendo games that can use extra functionality. Uh, I'm reminded of... um, Sly Cooper that came out for PS3 and Vita. I think it was Thieves in Time. Yep. The, Fort Sly that's Cooper. the third one. No, Fort Sly Cooper game. It, it wasn't made by Sucker Punch. It was made by Sanzaru. Okay. They had this really cool functionality where you could sync your Vita with your PS3. And then you could like put it on like a, like a little, not like a dock, but just like a little stand. So... You could have your TV in front of you, and then centered right below your TV, you could have your Vita, and it kind of gave you this, like, x-ray vision where you could, like, see through buildings. So mm-hmm. you would just, like, glance down at your Vita, and you could see, like, oh, there's a treasure chest, or there's an enemy behind there, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see maybe a creative use of, like, using the second screen in a similar way for, like, party games, where, like, something some players can see but other players can't see, and maybe... The player with the second screen has to tell the person with the first screen where to look because yeah. they're seeing something that of maybe they're course, not seeing. You know, this, and that's how Nintendo thinks about their first party games. We've talked about this person, you know, privately yeah. a lot since high school. Yeah. Nintendo makes their hardware for them. You know, they do now, and uh, it sometimes it pays off for them yeah i mean we mentioned this previously nintendo has a thing where they have these ups and downs where they have a really big successful thing yeah and then they do something really weird and out there and then nobody adopts it right and we're due for a flop console if we follow that trend which i don't want to see i mean there's a part of me that thinks this would be way more interesting than just making a switch too sure so as like 
just right as a Nintendo fan who understands Nintendo and their approach. That excites me. Right. And I would I would be there on day one for it. Right. But as someone who also wants to see Nintendo succeed and have all the massive third party support that they continue to have right now. Right. I think it would be the wrong move. Okay, so if we think about this thing as a basically a high powered DS that can be separated. Uh-huh. We we didn't understand the Switch until we held it. We thought Nintendo was out of their mind pretty much until we got to hold the thing. And you know, this can easily I mean be... I I didn't feel that way about this. No, I'm just people in general. We're talking about. I mean, I feel like the Wii U was the one that was always puzzling to people, Mm -hmm. and Nintendo made some good software that made a case for it. Right. But um, you know, there was zero third-party adoption, or very. There were some people who tried at the beginning, bought into what Nintendo was selling, and but their games didn't do very well. You know, the, the Wii U immediately sold a million consoles when it launched, and then like stopped. It, it just stagnated immediately. Yeah. Like it just a little trick. Like oh, here's ten thousand new consoles this week. You know, and that's that doesn't work. Right. I mean, Nintendo can they afford a flop? Yeah. Sure. And... They. I don't think they should though. No, of course not. No one should. <laughs> you know, but uh, just because they want to be in. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just. I don't know if. I don't know. If they were to sell this thing as an attached console, I could see it working. Because people took on to the detachable controllers for the Switch. Right. And they understood it. Right. You know, that's weird. That was weird. You know, no one had done that before. Well, I'm sure someone probably did it, but nobody, anybody knows. I mean, sure, the Intellivision had their (laughs) controllers. That's true. But that's... Yeah, I know what you mean. A little different. Um, I, you know, if it's a DS that slides apart, that's not that far out there from what the Switch was. You know, and I don't know. It has to be marketed properly. Yeah. Um, That's the biggest thing. It has to, like, the idea has to be communicated properly. I'm on team. This is just Nintendo filing a patent or, you know, working on a patent. Yeah. That maybe one day might be something relevant to what they want to create. And, you know, they'll already have that patent ready to go. And, uh, yeah, that's no one can claim that they did it first, you know. But, yeah, they, some companies, (laughs) when they have an idea that they think is innovative, they just file a patent. Right. And, you know, it's got some names attached to it. Uh, like, who were the... There's, like, three or four names attached to it who are, like, the people who created it, mm-hmm. if you look on the, the webpage. Yeah. And I went and, like, looked into them, and they, yeah, they're, like, Nintendo's, like, hardware people. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, yeah, I would... My jaw will hit the floor next year mm-hmm. if this is what they pitch to the public. I think... Yeah, but you're... What you see in your head isn't necessarily what, you know, how they're going to sell it or what it's going to be. Right. I mean, you know, based on what little we were able to glean so far, mm-hmm. I think it would be the wrong move for them. Yeah. It's it's the ambitious move. It's not the safe move. But I truly do think 
people have spoken they want another switch they want it to be more powerful mm-hmm. for once nintendo yeah you should probably give this massive audience you've created exactly what they want right it might be that too it might be that too just with a detachable screen that may or may not be used by right. all the games i mean i just think yeah 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 i i don't know what to say yeah i mean this will be crazy man when they show this thing off if this is what happens i mean the world is going to lose the video game world is going to lose their mind yeah if this ends up being it if this ends up being it um so that's just added a new wrinkle into the Nintendo six, Nintendo Switch successor story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, now this is going to be in the back of everyone's mind, um, and it just the anticipation is just growing even stronger. I mean, at the end of the day, no one knows what they're doing. You know, at the end of the day, this is just a document that came out that we we don't know. Could mean everything. It could, could mean, mean nothing. Could mean nothing at all. Yeah. So. Um, aside from that, um, we got some news out of PlayStation, um, the head of international production. Internal production. Internal. I'm sorry. I misspoke. <laughs> internal production. Connie Booth uh, has finally, after a very long, finally, long, long You're stay. making it sound like she should have left a long time ago. After a long, long stay at PlayStation, she has departed the company. Under, you know, circumstances that aren't clear to right. the public, we, you know. Yeah, we don't... Whether we don't, it's amicable... She hasn't, she hasn't spoken. No. We don't um, know what's going so on. So, Connie Booth has been with Play, or has been with Sony since 1989. But in 1995, she moved over to the games division. And this would be a couple years before PlayStation even launched. But she worked closely... Uh, with uh, the Crash Bandicoot team originally mm-hmm. to help get that game to market. Right. Um, from then, she would go on to help uh, nurture talent and produce games at studios that made games like Siphon Filter, SOCOM, Jack and Daxter, Sly Cooper, Ratchet and Clank, Infamous, Resistance, Fall of Man, Uncharted, The Last of Us, Days Gone, God of War, and Marvel Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so she's been... One, probably one of the handful of people who has been there since day zero right. on PlayStation. And from what I've seen, she has she has so many credits in so many games for special thanks, um, like people who've worked in the Sony ecosystem for a long time, mm-hmm. know Connie really well. Kojima even scanned her in uh, his crazy photo realism scanning thing that he has in his studio and right. made her an NPC in Death Stranding. Yeah. Um, so she's been really close with everyone, all the studios for a really long time. People are like lamenting her loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I even saw people saying that Microsoft or, you know, Phil Spencer at Microsoft should hire her to run Blizzard since Bobby is, is yeah. going to be... She would be a good candidate. But, you know, she likely probably has a a another non-compete, job a non-compete or that yeah yeah i mean um, no doubt someone in her position probably yeah. oh she's getting scouted right away scouted and she's probably happy to take a year off if yeah. not longer no doubt um she probably got a nice you know retirement package um you know but i mean this 
the circumstances beyond or behind her departure were first reported by uh, David Jaffe or Jaff. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. Yeah, I think it's Jaffe. Jaffe, uh, who was uh, one of PlayStation's early, you know, big name game creators yep. uh, behind Twisted Metal, and the, you know, he created the first God of War game. Yeah. Um, he's I. I didn't even know he created Twisted Metal, but he's well known for God of War. Yeah. Uh, he made... Do you remember at PlayStation Experience, there was one year they were drawn... Drawn to... Was it Drawn Together? It was Drawn to drawn to Death or something like that? Uh, it was this... Drawn to Life? No. Uh, it was this, like... It looked like pencil and paper, like line paper. Yeah, Drawn to Life. It, it, it was like line paper, and there was illustrations, and they came to life, and there was like a... No. Had like skull. This was like a, a shooter game where okay. you were like killing each other, but you look like they were made out of paper. Um, I think it's called Drawn to Death. I'm probably getting it wrong mm-hmm. though. Um, but yeah, he was there promoting the game at PlayStation. That's I think the last time he tried to make a new game, and I think it was a free to play game, mm-hmm. and it never caught on. So he's like shifted to like a. That was his own team, right? That made that game. He like, had already. Yeah, he yeah. wasn't particularly associated with Sony at that point you might think you're right is drawn to death yeah um but uh yeah he's left game design altogether he now has like a weekly YouTube show or he's he streams and he talks industry he was the first person who uh publicly said something about this and then it was further dug into by Steven Toledo Mm -hmm. um who was able to get some answers out of Sony and Sony had something nice to say about Connie. Let me pull that up. Um, I had seen her name actually come across my screen on the partner development portal mm. side of PlayStation before. Okay. Not like anything regarding me, but, you know, just newsletter type yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. Um, so this is what Sony had to say when asked about Connie Booth. They said, for over 30 years, Connie Booth was integral was an integral part of Sony Interactive Entertainment, working with studios like Ben Studio, Insomniac Games, Sucker Punch, and Naughty Dog to produce some of PlayStation Studios' most beloved titles. She helped drive the success of PlayStation Studios and, experience, and is experiencing... Well, they kind of phrase this a little weirdly. She helped drive the success PlayStation Studios is experiencing today, and her passion in fostering an environment where a team's creative vision could fully flourish has left a positive impact on many game developers. We were thankful for Connie's numerous contributions to the company and wish her the best in future endeavors. And it's it's also worth noting that in 2020... Connie was inducted into the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences Hall of Fame, which mm. is an honor that's, uh, you know, normally set aside for... STEM and stuff like that? No, or... this they have a specific... Uh, the Interactive Arts and Sciences oh, are, right. are mainly video games. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's normally... Like, Hideo Kojima has been, you know... Oh, yeah. You don't usually see a lot of these behind-the-scenes people get this kind of attention, but right. I guess the people involved just know how important she really was, and it shows that not all... Not all suits... Not all producers, not all behind-the-scenes right. string-pulling people 
are you know horrible no and you know not involved in the process yeah definitely um i agree with that she is one rare example of you know someone who actually really did contribute a lot to video game history from a, a managerial right you know position from you know i mean it's just crazy i mean there's there's probably nobody very few people left from you know as far back as she has been involved with the brand right and i gotta imagine if you're someone who's been there a long time you probably knew her well and Mm -hmm. it's got to be strange to see her go Uh, apparently sony will not be hiring anyone new to take her role over they're going to distribute her duties to various other executives maybe that has something to do with her departure yeah, I wonder if, you know, Sony's just trying to cut costs. She's been there for a long time. Yeah. She was president of this division. Um, maybe, no, maybe they feel like that position doesn't need to exist. And that's a crying shame, man. Yeah. Can you imagine you give 30 years of yourself? Right. You're responsible for, like, a huge amount of success the company's seen. And they're just like, hey, Connie, you're too expensive. Right. See ya. Yeah, she, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. You know, a lot of times. I I was going to say real quick, um, these positions, Mm -hmm. like the one she had, uh, they're constantly cycling through new people. You always see, especially like CEOs are the obvious example. Um, Like every few years, someone new has taken that position. But, you know, somehow she's stayed in that. Right. Role. I mean, she's... Um, she's climbed the ladder. She's climbed the ladder, sure. exactly. But, like, her role, it's almost like she's always been doing the same thing. Right. But they just gave her better titles and, you right. know, more benefits and money, I'm sure. Right. Over time. You know, well-deserved. Um, so, uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, if she goes back to the industry. She's done. Mm-hmm. She's probably in her 50s if she's been with Sony since 1989 right Um, that's I mean I mean sure that's up in the air she could oh yeah some people just love it you know Um, and you know it's an exciting you know the games industry on paper it's it's gotta be exciting it's gotta be thrilling Um, and that's why I think it lures so many people to it the realities of the industry right. yeah totally different yeah totally different it's not really a place you wanna work no um, especially if you're like a low-level employee, right? I think in the dream position in the industry, maybe you know, but right? That's very few. And people. she probably had her dream job, right? I mean, she probably got to do all kinds of amazing things, work with so many different teams. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's gotta have been pretty yeah. damn special. Yeah. Um. Um. Okay. So. We've got a couple stories about um, some player, some justifiable player outrage going on, um, and we're going to talk Overwatch first, and I'm going to let Rick take lead on this. Sure. Uh, so, Overwatch. This is actually kind of old news. This really started October second, I believe. Um, but over, I, we've kicked this down the road a couple times, I think. Overwatch season seven. Um, came out and you know the battle pass for season seven has uh gotten some people really upset well let's tell the listeners about overwatch a little bit what's overwatch so overwatch is a blizzard franchise uh that is 
sort of a the hero shooter type um, multiplayer online. Yeah, and Overwatch Two is specifically free to play. It is. Yeah. So uh, you don't have to which, pay a cent to. Which over Overwatch One was not. Right. At least initially, I would. I'm trying to remember have, if Overwatch become... One and transitioned into a free-to-play game at some point. So I'm going to point out from the get-go that neither Taylor nor myself are really fans of Overwatch or have played it or have any experience. Yeah, personally, I just... I probably have played some demos somewhere at some point. Yeah, it's just not my style of game. I'm not really into the competitive you know, player-versus-player stuff as much anymore, so... That's 99% of what Overwatch is. Right. So it doesn't really appeal to me too much. But um, for me, I really wanted to talk about this because it is pertaining to Blizzard and tangentially sort of related to the merger that we've been talking about ongoing. So uh, I feel like this is a relevant thing. Um, The Season 7 pass for Overwatch uh, got a lot of people on Twitter and Reddit really mad um, in that it came out um, being $40 and locked behind that paywall is a, a character skin for uh, Lilith Moira, uh, the antagonist from Diablo 4. Right. Uh, which is a really good looking skin. I saw pictures of it. Yeah. It is impressive. I can understand why it's coveted. Um, the only way to get this skin is to pay, you know cash money there is no gameplay path to do you, getting it do you earn it by purchasing into the battle pass is that how you get it i think you just get it with the 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 pack well, well of... so what's interesting is that usually in these games you buy the battle pass right but you don't immediately get stuff the rewards and stuff you, you have to it. like earn it by playing the game so um i didn't see a definitive answer to that question but i I suspect it's got to be tied to the pass somehow. Uh, yeah. And the pass is how much? Forty dollars. Forty dollars. Thirty nine ninety nine. So that's like the price of a game. Right. Of yeah, a full fledged title. Yeah. yeah. Um. But now Overwatch Two. This is not the first time that they have really upset their fan base. Um. There have already been plenty of of complaints and and stuff like that in the past. Overwatch 2, like Taylor mentioned, uh, is free-to-play, whereas Overwatch 1 initially was not. Um, But Overwatch 2 came out free-to-play very much with the mindset of seemingly predatory monetization in mind. Um, It prioritizes battle passes. It really sells hard, um, you know, the battle passes. Like, you have to... You pretty much have to have the battle passes. I mean, they... You know, if you want to look cool while you're playing the game, it, you know, that's that's what these games, how they're designed. It's a multiplayer game where you're playing with other players versus other players. Yeah. So when you jump into a match, you're seeing everybody you're playing with is dressed in some, like, cool alternate right. costume. And the only way you get these alternate costumes is by paying, for the most part. There may be right. some ways to unlock certain cosmetics over time saving up like whatever premium currency you can earn for free but yeah these these free-to-play games especially mm-hmm. something like overwatch right. where all you're doing is looking at other players all the time right is is designed to get you to want to spend money right. on these optional cosmetic things fortnite is another example Fortnite's the same exact right. thing and um but in your experience with these kind of games however limited it may be 
Um, do you, would you think that the battle passes have like in, include access to gameplay um, like segments, or if it's just like mm-hmm. a bunch of items? I and... think I think Blizzard's plan or with Overwatch Two is anything that's like gameplay, every player will have access to it at no cost. Okay. So really, they're targeting... Your battle pass is just a pack of items and cosmetics that you have to exactly. buy at home. Yeah, so, you know, it is it is totally optional. You're not pressured into doing it. But, you know, players, especially young people, mm-hmm. and people who are susceptible to, like, you know, opening their wallets constantly, right, right. you know, they're going to feel pressure to, to want to buy this stuff mm-hmm. constantly. Right. Right. I don't know how long the seasons last. You're going to look out of date as a player if yeah. you don't have the latest and greatest yeah. cosmetics. Now, some people, that doesn't matter to them. Right. And they'll never be bothered by it. And they'll play the game for free and they'll get a ton of value out of it. Mm-hmm. But for every one of those players, there's probably two players right. that is spending Need on to everything. Have it. Yeah, they got to have, have every battle pass for every season. And... Um, I did look at the list of everything that comes with the battle pass. There's a bunch of in-game items and loot and, you know, yeah. healing items, etc. that do come. It's not just one cosmetic skin for $40. You know, it's a list of stuff that you get. All Everything else doesn't mean much to me as a non-player of right. Overwatch, but I do understand the fervor uh, about the skin. And I think really what gets people is... You know, even though this kind of thing is has been historically acceptable to a degree with free to play games, this is not typical of how Overwatch has had always been, especially in Overwatch One. Um, every cosmetic in Overwatch One had a gameplay path to getting it. Um, you know, that would take a lot of time when you could just buy it, but it, that option existed. Right. If you wanted a particular cosmetic. You could earn it just by playing the game. Right. You didn't have to spend money. This is the first time, from my understanding, that Overwatch has anything cosmetic-related behind a paywall right. exclusively. Yeah. Um, now, you know, they Overwatch 2 launched recently, and Diablo 4 launched recently, and Diablo 4 also has a battle pass that's seemingly very similar to what uh, Overwatch is offering, mm-hmm. and it's it's also it's just full of all this cosmetic, like gold and like things like that. You know, like things that you could totally earn. They don't really give you a significant gameplay advantage or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know the the but yeah, they make you look cool, right. you know. And I don't know. For me, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense for a game like Diablo personally right because the character is so small on the screen you're looking at like everything going on around you and not at your character so much Mm -hmm. so i don't really see i bet you it's not working out for them as well as it works out for them in something like overwatch 2 uh, where your like character is like really in your face all the time right and characters are just more prominent on screen yeah and i mean don't get me wrong the the um character design uh of you know the overwatch characters is incredible it's like a looks like some crazy pixar you know game come right. to life right um you know they they all look fantastic the costumes are awesome mm-hmm. but yeah when the costumes are behind paywalls or even when a single costume costs 10 20 dollars that's insane mm-hmm. that's insane yeah. to me yeah it doesn't make sense to me either but you know 
kids are growing more and more games. If I'm a kid now, all all the big games I'm playing have all these tra- microtransactions and these battle passes, right? And all of this stuff are all around me. And I don't know, man. Like, yeah, it's that's just going to be the norm for them. Yeah. So you know what was completionism and stuff in games to us is bankruptcy to yeah kids today. Used to be you bought a sixty dollar game. And, you know, if you wanted to do everything in it, you didn't have to spend another penny. Right. And now you buy a free game, but if you want to do everything in it, you're spending thousands and thousands of dollars. If you want to collect all the optional cosmetic stuff, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I prefer that if a game is free to play, that the microtransactions are cosmetic Mm -hmm. because... I don't think players should be able to buy a gameplay advantage over right. other the players. Play to win type yeah. of stuff. Which we don't see nearly as much anymore. No. I mean, you could argue that the, some of the stuff included in this Season 7 Battle Pass does include quote-unquote pay to win. I mean, it's healing items and stuff well, like that. Well, I'm not really... I don't think we should speak definitively on that. No, I mean, we yeah. don't know what the stuff I don't know is what that actually and how, how it applies to gameplay. Because my understanding um, is that it's a very balanced competitive game, so yeah. I don't actually see them selling that. anything that would give I, I don't know advantage. myself. Um, Maybe it's a healing item for like a PvE. Getting back, though, to how Overwatch has already upset players, uh, when Overwatch 2 came out, they completely replaced Overwatch 1 and with this... It's basically just a, a version 2. It's not even really a sequel when you think about what kind of gameplay it includes. Yeah. You know, um, they did away with hero missions, uh, which were present in Overwatch 1 as part of the PvE content, um, promising a bigger PvE experience, I understand, yeah. but taking away hero mi- missions, which I guess were something that was beloved yeah. by players. Uh, I mean, and they ended up... Uh... They they went back on their commitment to provide big PVE content, mm-hmm. and so they're no longer doing that. So now, it's just bad news. You you remove the old game when the new game launches, right? And and you know I believe player purchases did carry over from the first game, but you know they did change how the game played a little bit. I believe they reduced the number of players on, like, a team. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that means, like, some of these professional esports teams had to, like, cut people right. from their roster. Because, right. like, oh, instead of it being 5v5, now it's 4v4. Instead of 4v4, it's right. 3v3. Yeah. Um, so and people have to, like, adapt to, yeah. uh, you know, what the game designers decide or um, publisher decide. And, you know, shortly before Overwatch 2 launched, uh, they lost their lead game designer their director of the game jeff kaplan he left blizzard and hasn't been seen since yeah um and he was a beloved figure in the blizzard community he was around since like the earth like like world of warcraft that's where he got his start Mm -hmm. so yeah he was old old school blizzard oh yeah um like he was working on the game before like it even went public you know Mm -hmm. um so and he left to work on project titan which would then become overwatch right and Titan was originally uh, an MMO, like a PVE MMO, mm-hmm. but it got repurposed into Overwatch. And uh, maybe uh, 
a lot of this stuff having to do with Overwatch 2 is related to... I think part of his departure was maybe caused by... Maybe he saw where the company was like, no, we're not doing what we said, what you said you were going to do. So Mm -hmm. maybe he was like, I see this train wreck coming. I'm going to get out of here. Or, you know, with him missing, they really didn't know... They messed it up. Yeah. How to (laughs) to take uh... it. Um, So... uh, like I said, uh, Overwatch 1 always allowed gameplay pass to cosmetic rewards. Um, but Overwatch 2 replaced Overwatch 1 with, I think I mentioned this already, just not enough game content to call it, justify it as right. a sequel. It's but players, they got, they lost a complete product and gained an inferior product. Right, basically. Which promised to be a superior product. Yeah, and they have not delivered on that promise. Maybe they'll get there. Mm-hmm. But as of right now, the game's not in a super great place. Right. Um, it's nowhere near the highs that the game was at with the original Overwatch. I mean, the the original Overwatch won like Game of the Year mm-hmm. at the Game Awards. Um, I can't remember what year it was, 2015, 16, something right. like that. Well, that's when it was a premium game and, right. you know, felt like Now, when it was a premium game, I do believe it did have cosmetic, you know, microtransactions. Yeah, it yeah. did, but like I, like I said, it provided a gameplay right. path to them. Yeah. They didn't lock stuff in the paywall. But I guess because it's a free-to-play game, they feel like they, they don't have to right. keep that commitment anymore. That longer. that's okay. Yeah. Right. Um, and the question I'd like to pose in all of this is really like, how does this behavior from Blizzard maybe relate even tangentially to the merger with Activision? And can we uh, expect to see any changes in this behavior from Blizzard? And, and I'm all extend that to also include Diablo 4 and the way that they're going with the microtransactions monetization there. Um now that Microsoft owns Blizzard, do you think this will be different? Do you think it'll stay the same? Do you um, think it'll get better or worse? I don't think Microsoft will care, you know, or Xbox will care unless it becomes like financially non-viable. Right. If it affects know. the bottom line in a significant way, then I way. think you know they would you know try to pivot the game somehow. Mm-hmm. But if it's still generating revenue you know, a good amount of revenue, a justifiable amount to like continue the game's existence, I don't think Phil Spencer at Microsoft will tell them to do anything no, different. I don't even um, think Phil Spencer. You know, if the game is in a bad place, I would guess that the game designers, the people in charge of Overwatch... I'm not just talking about Overwatch, though. I'm talking about just Blizzard's right. directive to monetize their games. Um, I mean, way. that's just unfortunate. I don't... I don't think that's changing. Microsoft does that in their own games. Right. So I, I don't think that's going to change at all. Could it maybe multiply and get worse, do you think? Um, I mean, Microsoft just spent 60-some billion dollars. I definitely think it could get worse. They're yeah. going to want to recoup costs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. it's an investment, you know, yeah. that purchase. I mean, oh, yeah. it's going to take years before they They recoup the money they spent on buying Activision yeah. Blizzard, yeah. But they're looking at it for the long haul. What was the sure. sale number again on that? The merger? Do you, do you know? I don't have it off the top of my head, but I think it was 60-some billion dollars. Yeah, something, that sounds yeah. right. Yeah, like 68 or 69. That's a lot of money. Yeah. 
Um, so we got one more story, um, mm-hmm. and you know this is kind of t- themed nicely. You know, this is just a day after Halloween that we're talking about it. Yep. But um, similar fashion to what we just talked about, Mortal Kombat One, which is the newest Mortal Kombat game, yes. not the oldest Mortal right. Kombat game, because they want to be unique. They think this is. I don't know. Personally, I think the name is clever. Uh, I think what game has ever put the number one in their title? Sure, I understand why they did it. Yeah, and it does make sense from like a a story, what they're doing with the story. Right. Um, But anyways, we're not talking about the title Mortal Kombat 1. We're talking about what they did recently. So in Mortal Kombat, we should clarify, you can have these really brutal finishing moves right fatalities known as fatalities and they're super gory they're over the top right they're match finishers and they've been the the signature of mortal Kombat, like the single biggest signature aspect of the game sets them apart from everyone since the beginning since the very first mortal Kombat in i believe 1991 is these fatalities so mortal Kombat is a 70 dollar game and they are asking players to spend $12 on a new fatality animation. Yes. Specifically themed around Halloween. Uh, we'll post a link to the video so you can watch the fatality for yourself mm-hmm. on the blog. Um, but needless to say, it involves a pumpkin, a jack-o'-lantern. Right. And it's $12, and it's only available for a limited time. And players are livid. We're talking about a game. Not only did it have a $70 base version, mm-hmm. there was also like a $100 version. I think it was 120 120 for like the premium version right. that comes with like costumes and extra, you know, junk. Right. Um, that is just, you know, pay 50 extra dollars to get like a battle pass. And I don't know if, because uh, usually what they do is they did this with 11. You could buy the base game and then buy the extra the deluxe pack right turn it into a deluxe sure you know sure i'm sure that's an option right but you know this game like a lot of other fighting games now they have all these optional purchases for outfits Mm -hmm. and various cosmetics but this is the first time they've ever made one of these cosmetics limited time availability which induces that fomo right in the players right so you got the two players that are like, oh my god, I have to buy it because then it's gone forever. Right, right. And then you got the people who are really upset that that it's only available for a limited time, mm-hmm. and that you have to pay for it twelve dollars for an animation. Yeah, like I could understand a dollar. I mean, it's a, it in a fighting game. It is akin to like an item or something not an item but like an unlockable or something like that in a, like an rpg or something right you could compare it that like way. this is something that you just should be given out to the players right. who are playing like log in during halloween and get this bonus fatality it's not yeah. a 12 a 12 dollar we're talking about like a, a seventh of the value or, or like a sixth of the value of this game right is what they're asking for it so at Christmas time, you don't think there's going to be a Christmas tree fatality? Right. You know there's going to be one. Well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, the, they, they've gotten pretty... These things have probably already been made, and, like, they're scheduled to go out right. for the rest of oh, the yeah. year. Oh, yeah. No, no, no doubt. I get your point. I don't know about Christmas. Netherrealm seems to have gone really politically correct. I don't think they're going to do that. But they might do that for, you know... Kwanzaa? Uh, Kwanzaa. I don't know. I don't know what... Hanukkah? 
I don't know. Festivus? Oktoberfest. <laughs> well, cool. they just missed that. They missed that, yeah. Smash someone's head between two <laughs> steins of beer. <laughs> uh, uppercut him into, like, some vat. Yeah. You know, or he gets spit out with the yeast or something. Yeah. I don't know. He's, like, melted. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that would be cool, but $12 for that? Yeah, right. Like, I'll just watch it on YouTube. So, I mean... That, okay, there's... You can do the FOMO thing. That makes sense. Pokemon does it with mystery gifts and that kind of thing. Like, it oh, goes yeah. away real quick. FOMO's all over the place but in the games it's, industry. you know, those are free. They're not $12. Right. If you're going to charge for it, you need to make it at least... I mean, you're already price-gouging people. That's a given. But you need to at least make that available with, you know, the rest of the DLC you know for the life of the right if you bought the deluxe edition you should just have that right or at least have a code to redeem it or something like that when it's I available mean, no if you buy the deluxe edition of the ultimate whatever edition of the game right anything extra they release for the rest of the game's life unless there's like a big expansion or something right for that first year of the game or whatever you should have it all i agree if i paid 130 dollars for the best version the most complete version of the game and now they're going to start asking me to pay twelve dollars right. every other month right to have a, a some kind of oh bonus fatality animation or mm -hmm. some skin that's that's just absurd man i'm not even going to get into my opinions about how the direction of how i think fatalities are going from the original games to what they look like now i do think this fatality is pretty dumb but, you know, I'm also a pretty calloused Mortal Kombat fan. Mm. I didn't um, realize that. I yeah. thought you were still into it. Oh, no, I'm definitely into it and definitely passionate about it. Yeah. And, you know, certain things that NetherRealm does really irk me. Okay. You know, as a result. So, um, like, the, the fatality animations have gotten, like... They're insane. Yeah, yeah, they're just way too over, like, way too over the top, unrelated. In this fatality, right, he, the player one smashes a pumpkin over player two's head and then a bunch of bugs or parasites or whatever eat his face off. Right. Then he kicks the pumpkin. Now all of a sudden there's a house behind <laughs> the, the, like, that didn't happen in... The older, you know, right. like just weird. Right. I don't know. So like, it, it's not just the kill. It's like then the set changes. Yeah. The, yeah. Like there's a house behind the fighters now. All right. of a sudden, does this make sense? No, it doesn't. Right. Because then the pumpkin is like sitting on the right doorstep on the doorstep of, of the, house, the house that's in the some, distance, like, behind. suburban, you know, right. American. Supposed to look like I don't oh. know Halloween or something. Yeah. You know, the movie, um, but. Yeah, I just, there's a lot of things, I'm not going to get into it because okay. it's a whole wormhole, right. but there's a lot of things NetherRealm does in their more recent games that I'm just not, in. I I think it's just... It's interesting because a lot of the people who make Mortal Kombat are the same people who've been making Mortal Kombat. Ed Boon is, that's... If you look at a lot of the other senior talent on the game, they've been with NetherRealm, they've been with Mortal uh, Kombat the for composer, 10, 15, 20 years. I'm forgetting years. his name now, but I think the composer is too. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, they have a lot of different artists and stuff. They, I know I read something a while ago of how they were 
trying to get fatality ideas just from their regular staff. Mm. Like they wanted everyone to just submit sure. fatality ideas. So I know they do take design advice and stuff sure. from their lower staff. So I, I know that there's more minds playing a part. Right. I mean, um, you know, when you've been making the game for as long as you have, you know, the right. people who've always been making the fatalities right. you need probably new need ideas and new input and stuff like that. Some of the new fatalities just, I don't like it when they don't make physical, logical sense. Mm, and a lot of okay. new fatalities kind okay. of do that. I can see that. Um, anyways, so, yeah, players are upset about this being a limited time paid piece of dlc it's not even dlc because you're not downloading anything you're just unlocking it because yeah you already downloaded it's it in update. the game already and yeah. it's just being unlocked which is just because it's it's tied to your like account essentially. right right so now like... pe- people are likening this to a classic fatalities pack that came out with mortal kombat 9 on ps3 and vita Years ago. Years ago. Um, and I that's a pack that I bought because I need to have those fatalities. Those were all the Mortal Kombat 1, 2, and 3 fatalities for a whole set of characters. But that was like... That was actual DLC that you downloaded. Right. And that was like a $10 purchase. Right. And you got a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, it was like 12 or 13 fatalities. You didn't get one. Right. For and, more. Exactly. And uh, they were classic again. This isn't some new thing... You know, for Halloween. I mean, personally, I still think it's kind of scummy. Sure. But um, but if it's something that the developer developed for the game after the fact, you know, long after it's been released. Yeah. You know, I can understand charging. You yeah. Know, yeah. If a, it wasn't part of the original scope of the game. Right. And it had to be created, you know, separately. Right. Time and money went into making them. Exactly. So it makes sense that they'd be paid for it. But, I mean, again, $10 for a pack of a dozen right. fatalities. But I think most importantly, it, not limited time. Yeah. It was, it's there. You, it's, it's, you could download that right up until the end of PlayStation Network for PS3. I mean, you're probably, if PS3 store is still, still up, uh, I mean, you it's can download it now to navigate. But yeah. um, you can still even download stuff on the PS3 today. It's probably still there. But I think that about wraps it up for this week. Any final thoughts? Nope. Um, we got a lot of stuff lined up for next episode. I know. Our, our notes for episode seven are nearly complete <laughs> already, and there's still like a whole week to go before yeah. we record. So End transmission.